Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 11th episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I'm your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to my good friend Sarah Longfield about her forthcoming album, Toja. So today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid, the best way to get your music on the internet, and their awesome hyperfollow feature. Hyperfollow is a completely free and awesomely powerful promotional tool for anyone who's using DistroKid. It's the one-stop shop for all the links to streaming services and stores for your DistroKid release. It's a must-have one link that leads to your music on all streaming services. This is the link that you give to anyone who's like, so you're in a band? Where do I hear you? What do I listen to your music? And you're just like, here you go. Boom, hyperfollow, and they can they can hear you on whatever service they listen on. Um, it has all the links, artwork, the works. And the instant you finish uploading on DistroKid, you can start marketing your release and collecting Spotify pre-saves, including fan email addresses and all of that with hyperfollow. Your hyperfollow link never changes. No matter, you don't have to upload it, if or update it rather, if you upload new music, all of that. Pretty amazing, super easy to use, great promotional tool. Check the link in the description for 7% off your first year of DistroKid with my special code. So please, please give an ultra warm welcome to my guest today, Sarah Longfield. Hello. What up? Um, not too much. What about you? The same. Regular, regular amounts of, uh, of stuff. Of stuff. Currently getting over COVID. Just over it enough. Basically like day eight or nine right now, I think, of COVID. So I'm like, you know, most of the way better. I've got a handful of cough drops and I'll probably have one in the whole time. You've got you've had it twice now, right? Yeah, I had COVID twice. I had it in November and I had it in the very, very beginning of January. I got Delta and Omicron. Oh my gosh, you're just collecting the whole set. <laughs> I'm so sick. <laughs> <laughs> Super fucking sick. Good. Well, um, we're here today to talk about your forthcoming album, which is Toja. I had to ask you how to say it because it's a Greek word and I don't speak Greek. There's a few different ways to say it, but that's how I'm going to say it. So it's just going to be Toja. That's very important. For example, so, you know, my last uh, is my last name is Xavier. Most people say Xavier. And I just say Xavier because that's how my mom always said it. Right, right. Xavier. And I get out into the world and people are like, Xavier. And I'm like, who's that? What is that going on? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, who? <laughs> how you say it will define how people say it for your thing. And that's that's important. Yes. So we're getting that out of the way before it's even released. Toja. There you go. Letting the world know. Yep. So tell us just a little bit about it. Like, for example, uh, you don't ha actually have a release, a specific release date set, but it's coming so soon, April-ish, I think you were saying? Yeah, it's it's in mastering right now, which I finally relinquished to outside sources because I was like, I do not have the capacity to continue doing absolutely everything. That's what's happening currently. Um, and the album started, I mean, about two years ago, right after lockdown, really. Um, I'd stopped touring. Before lockdown, I had decided to stop touring for a little bit because uh, I wanted to go to college. So I was in college, and that was cool. And I was like, cool, I'm doing not music. I'm doing all these other things. And I was super focused on that. And then the pandemic hit, and that like really fucked up college. And I was like, okay, cool. Like This means I'm going to get a lot of free time to just sit in my by myself. Like My favorite activity is just to sit alone. So I got to do a lot of that, like a bit too much of that. 
and I started to get a little stir crazy and online college sucked so much. And so I was like, all right, I got to have something to pull me out of this. So I started writing music again and I was hating it and hating it and hating it. And then I kind of got into, so in Minneapolis, like where I'm living right now, there is like a pretty big like Eurorack modular synth scene. Like, believe it or not, like a lot of people are into that. We have like brick and mortar store you can go and buy Eurorack modules at, which is like pretty unusual. Yeah. So I just kind of started to dive into that because that was something I always wanted to do. Just didn't have the money. Started like, I don't know, in 2014, I think, and then had to stop because I just couldn't afford to keep doing it. But I had some savings. So I started messing around with like physical synths and that really changed like the sound that I was going for and like the the note choices that I was making. I don't know theory, so I don't know what it changed to, but it's different now. And then, I don't know, I just started really diving into making electronic music because that's, one. it's something I've always done, but nobody knows about it. Like the first electronic album I put out was like 2013 or 2014. Like it's been going on for like a while. So I was like, you know what? It's time for another one. Good break. And then, yeah, two years of me just like I have hundreds of songs, but I keep whittling it down to the ones that I think work the best for the concept of the album. I've known that you've been into it because you tried to get me on the uh, modular synth train several times. And it's one of those things where every time I've heard anything that you've done on it, I've been like, holy shit, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I want to try that. And you're like, do it. Do it. It's so fun. It's so fun. That's a rabbit hole and a half. Yeah. It's so worth it, though. And you can do like the VCV rack, which is like all digital, but it's like there's nothing like getting away from the computer. I know you work on a computer all day, too. So it's like when you're not and you can just sit down and do something that feels like productive, but abstract. So you don't fall into your usual melodic choices. I don't know. It's good. So you really should. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to. It's like, oh, boy, another hobby. That would be a hobby that I would go. I would do one of these. I'd be like, oh, cool. Well, I could do like some film score. I, I would turn it into a job. <laughs> I'd be like, I could totally make money off of this. I yeah, could, yeah. and then I'll next year you'll be interviewing me for my electronic album that's coming out. Yes. Oh yes. boy, I do I'm love the sound game of for that. There's so you can get so many unique noises. And you have uh, gotten some unique noises. So I sp- I spent a bunch of time yesterday listening to the album. I've heard most of the things that you've put out at this point in some regard or another it's not that i wasn't expecting it so much because i think it kind of sounds like what you describe your brain as being like yes <laughs> um, yes from the many many discussions that we've had about um all of that of the the inner workings of sarah's brain um because yes. because we're pretty similar in a lot of ways but you're tapped into some shit that's how yeah. i describe you to people <laughs> Oh, who's Sarah? (laughs) Sarah's tapped into some shit. (laughs) Yeah. And when I heard this, I was like, yeah, 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 that sounds right. It feels right. So on this podcast, there's basically one question and everything else is a follow-up question. The big question is, what is your usual songwriting process and how was it different on this album and what you did differently on this that you haven't done before or or whatever, or if it's it's the same. So... Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Actually, it's like the exact same. It's just a different medium, I guess. Like if I were to be painting a painting, I would be doing it pretty much the same way, no matter what kind of paint I was using or if I was drawing, it'd be the same process. Um, And I don't really have a process because I don't really like expectations. So I have no expectations of myself ever. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so whenever I sit down to write a song, I sit down and I, I don't think about writing a song. I just think about making stuff. And I have like hundreds of half-made things. I'm sure everybody knows what that feels like. And for this, it was like the same thing that I would do with guitar. Like, you know, I when I would write guitar music, I would never usually sit down with the guitar first. Um, and I think the same goes for synth stuff. Like usually when I was writing guitar music, I would write the synth stuff first and the drums and then write guitar over it. Or, you know, I guess occasionally I would switch it up for this stuff. I would um, like I would decide I wanted it to be maybe something like faster or slower or I would think about like the things that I like and like this was kind of this is a weird it's inspired by like the doom eternal soundtrack and it's like kind of inspired by like this new it's not it's not new I guess it started in like basically when the pandemic started there's this anti-design trend that's going around and it's really kicking off now and it's like really ugly but it's also shaping it's shaping art and music and like graphics and um like design and poster design and so like I was thinking about like anti-design and like doom and um just weird like the whole concept is um about like basically the end of the world which I thought was fitting because I was writing in it like during the pandemic you know what I mean I didn't think the pandemic was going to be the end of the world but like I mean you have to admit there's been a lot of chaotic events that have occurred in the last two to three years no I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) so it's like I was kind of sick of writing I used to write music that would make me feel like better, you know, like more uplifting guitar stuff. After I was writing metal, I wrote like more uplifting guitar, like dreamier, tappier stuff. And then I was like, no, I'm sick of writing all that kind of stuff. I just want to write about the stuff I think about, which is like aliens and like aliens abducting people and like the earth ending and like everything just blowing up and then all everybody having to live underground. And then like this like group of people that are like trying to like save the human race, but like, does it really need saving? And they go rogue. And like, I have all these like sci-fi ideas like woven into the concept of this album. So I would just sit down and think about that stuff. And like, then I would think about like what that looks like. And then I would try to like make that sound, you know, and I would be playing around on the modular, just seeing if I could find those weird textural, like, warpy ambient but also kind of dark like I wanted it to have like upbeat moments but like also kind of dark kind of matrixy you know like kind of channeling a little bit of matrix I love the matrix soundtrack I think that shit is one of the greatest soundtracks ever it is it totally is so you were searching for aliens in the in the modular synth yeah yeah totally all right so that was that was kind of how that started so I would just play around on different synths um and vocals always came last vocals always come last I guess I tried to be a little bit more cognizant about like the lyrics. I normally don't really care about lyrics. I just like say words that maybe sound like they will work. I should probably stop doing that, but I tried a little <laughs> bit harder this time. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Whenever I'm emotionally attached like to my lyrics, like my brain is just like dumb. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's stupid. So I just like try not to attach myself to them Caring too much. So they're stupid <laughs> and dumb. You care about a thing? <laughs> Yeah, so my brain just, like, beats me up about it. So I just, like, try to think about the story and, like, make really vague lyrics kind of surrounding it, which is the most I've put into lyrics thus far, so. Well, that's a good start. I was a bit curious. I was going to ask about them. I didn't latch on to anything super specific in there about aliens or <laughs> or dystopian anything, but... That's good to know that you uh, don't care about them, so we won't go into it too much. Yeah, I mean, we can. Like, there's the one song about, um, the one song, Entertainer. That one's about, like, uh, social media and, like, all the cultures surrounding that. And, like, how you pretty much, if you're not born rich, you don't really have a choice but to be, like, unless you get really lucky, 
you pretty much just have to do internet stuff and then you're just kind of like at the mercy of everybody just dictating what they want you to do and you can try to do your own thing and sometimes people succeed but other times like if you want to make actual money you have to just succumb to like these really basic ideas of like you know i don't know so that was that one kind of had a little bit of a direction that's an interesting concept because once again something that you and i have talked about a lot about you know wanting us being both artists and youtube content creators which are like things that are to a certain extent at odds with each other because you can do the thing that you want. You can do whatever you want on YouTube, basically. Right. But is anybody going to watch it? And if you want to do it for a living, like you can just put random bullshit or whatever, super artsy stuff, and people will be like, oh, okay. Like you'll get five people (laughs) who are like, fuck yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And then, you know, and then the algorithm's like, no one will see this. No. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is odd. (laughs) We have to care about that shit to an extent because, once again, we're trying to do this for a living and and we're constantly balancing this art and business or whatever aspect. And the social media likes and views and all that, that's our currency for our job. So we got to care about that. But if you're if you're rich, like you're saying, and you don't need the money, do you actually have more freedom and license to take artistic risks? And like beyond that, it's just more corrupt. Like you can buy yourself onto whatever tours you want. You can buy a whole film crew. You have people to edit your videos for you. So you're just going to be making content more and more often than people that have to shoot lighting video, like edit the whole thing themselves and then post it and try to keep that up as a one man operation. You know what I mean? So it's like there's so many advantages to just like being born rich. And I just think that there's like that's most of. Like, you wouldn't think so, but, like, out of all the different weird sections of the music industry I've, like, dipped my toe into and then run away from screaming, like, that was why. It's because I was like, oh, my God, I'm just surrounded by just tons of rich people. Nothing against rich people, but there's, like, just a, they're, like, they were born at the top of the ladder and, like, you were not. And the, like, the it's just very gatekept almost on all levels in most genres, unless like a rich person is like, oh, I like this weird little poor peasant. Let's bring them in. I like them. They can be our little buddy. (laughs) So you become their little toy. (laughs) Oh, good. That's not depressing at all. Yeah, I've seen that a little bit here and there. I haven't experienced it to that level but boy oh boy it's it's frustrating it's it's a little different in youtube you have a little bit more opportunity to move up an agency and like separation from like the traditional like celebrity industries not that like celebrity is the goal by any means but it just more solidifies your like income for an extended period of time because then you have like weight behind your name but yeah pretty much all the other and everybody's like oh you've only done metal you've only done this you've only done that like how could you know i'm like all the big prog bands <laughs> just little rich kids like <laughs> you know <laughs> so you know i'm not gonna out anybody but uh it's a problem in all genres i mean some of those bands how else would they get anywhere because they're why would anybody listen to it otherwise but <laughs> <laughs> but like that also makes me think of like okay we could probably if money was the goal right? We wouldn't be doing this for sure. We wouldn't be making music. We wouldn't, you know, like yeah. we'd just get a fucking engineering job or whatever, be a dentist and have some solid. I'm still considering the engineering job. <laughs> yeah. You went corporate for a hot minute. And, yeah. Six uh, whole months. It almost whole, killed oh my me. God, I can't believe you lasted that long. Barely. I don't know about you, but the, the reason that I 
even am bothering to try to make more money with what I do is so that I can do that thing that I was talking about of just doing the weird shit that I want to do. Like I'm trying to buy enough freedom of time and also just have enough of a a promotional budget to do the shit that I actually want to do, which is just to make the music that I want to do. And like, you know, if you're once again, if you've got money for whatever reason you were born with it or you won the lottery or you fucking worked for it, like in this musical climate, it's almost the opposite of how it used to be where you could like be a musician and have a job doing music and make money doing it. Now we're making money so that we can make the art that we want to make. (laughs) Yeah, it's very convoluted. But it kind of seems like you've done something that you want to do, at least with this album. Uh, Am I? uh, It sounds to me like you made it without caring about any of that, because I I don't want to speak for you, but I think if you'd been doing what other people wanted to do, the album probably would have had guitar on it. And <laughs> as far as I can tell, there's no guitar. Is that right? No guitar? Yeah, there's no guitar. Nope. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, no. yeah it's uh, very freeing. Um, I did do what I wanted to do with it. And I think it's going to disappoint a lot of people that are like expecting a guitar album. Um, I do have another guitar album happening. It's just not on my priority list quite yet. Um, and I don't know. It's It's tricky because I'm at a point where... I'm at this just weird junction in my life. I'm like, do I want to, can I keep doing YouTube as a guitar player or can I turn it in? I don't know if you can hear the sirens that's going on right now. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully not. There's a bunch of sirens happening. Okay. Um, yeah. It's like, I don't know if if YouTube is the thing that like, I, you know me, I, I'm such a bad YouTuber. Like I'm just <laughs> such a, <laughs> I've always been such a bad, like from day one, horrible YouTuber, not good at it. Do not like, uh, editing videos of myself. There's a lot of barriers that if I had the means would be eliminated and I could like make YouTube successfully. Like if I could afford a video editor, if I could afford to have someone help me like set up shoots and help me write out scripts and stuff, I could be a successful YouTuber. I do not have the money to do that. Probably won't have the mental wherewithal to get to the point where I will make enough money to do that. So it's, it's kind of like me just barricading myself in because I just don't have the facilities that maybe other people do, you know? So, I mean, I don't know if that's the ADHD. I know we connect on that. (laughs) So the people at home have an idea of how bad Sarah is at it. I literally have money set aside for her to do a video, to do a promotional video for my, not, not to do a promotional video for the course to do. I told her to do whatever video she wanted to do. (laughs) And I would pay her just to say, just to like promote my course. And she still hasn't done it. I am working on it. I swear to you. I need like I need like a live in like handler. Like I think if I if someone was willing to sacrifice themselves <laughs> for me <laughs> and they were like, Sarah, get up. We got to shoot videos today. Like we're going to do this video, this video. And that's why I can't yeah. even have a remote yeah. manager. Yeah. Like remotely, if you're not like in front of my face being like literally do this or you're not going to be able to pay rent. Like, that's what I need. Because for me, it's like out of sight, out of mind. I forget I have friends because I just don't see them. You know what I mean? Like, oops. You know, so it's Object like, I'm just... permanence and ADHD. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's fucking real. People don't, people don't understand. No, they think it's a joke. They think I'm kidding when I'm like talking about this. <laughs> I have had... Everybody's a little bit ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> no, my therapist and my psych, my psych told me I was the worst case of ADHD that he had ever seen. He was like, you know, because I was talking about the day that I didn't take my meds and I drove away from the the gas station with the gas pump in my and it ripped out of the. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he's like, he's like weird. He's like, that's so crazy. He's like, I have like ADHD clients that are like, oh, I'm struggling to focus on my math homework. I was like, I couldn't even take math in high school because like, I just didn't understand any of it like at all. So I don't know. It's, it's really bad. Like it is. And then my therapist, like I was talking to her about all my problems. She was like, she told me to get, start applying for disability. I'm like, really? Like, have I broken therapy? Like I'm at the point where they're like, we can't help you. <laughs> you are a lost cause. <laughs> so I'm not going to apply for disability, but it's a bit of a trade-off. Like you, um, like, like I said earlier, you are tapped into some shit and the, uh, that shit does doesn't exist on planet Earth. It doesn't. <laughs> the fucking spirit of art doesn't care about paying your bills. <laughs> like it just there's no overlap. None you know, at all. But nonetheless, you made this. You made this thing. You made this album. Um, we we'll get off topic a hundred times before this is over. I'm gonna try and keep pulling us back. That's okay. Do it. I will not be offended. Because, <laughs> otherwise, we're just gonna be in an ADHD doom spiral. So. You started off with with this exploration, the sandboxing, as I like to call it, with your with the synths and searching for a sound that matches kind of what you're going for. Once you once you get something going, what do you do next? Once you once you find a sound in the modular synth, how do you start developing it? Oh, I just vibe. You know what I mean? It's no, like I, it's me. like I black out, <laughs> and then it's like, boop, 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 boop. Tara, you know what I mean? The process. I need <laughs> to know what vibe. Is, what is the vibing? What does it mean? <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue. Here's a here's a more concrete question. Okay. This is something that I don't understand about modular synths at all. Okay. Actually, just about everything. But because it's an analog thing, how do you get each of the uh the parts into your into logic or your DAW to to like how do you get them in there synced up? Oh, um, well, I mean, you can set a tempo like it's it's a clock on like a Eurorack, so you set the tempo from like they have sequencer modules where you like sequence a pattern or like some will have like keys if you want to like hook up a keyboard, then you can play the notes. Um, but sequencing is more fun and faster. Um, and like I have a tracker sequencer, some people might know what that is. And so, yeah, you have the notes, they're playing at a specific tempo and you can have a master clock, which controls the tempo of like other modules because it's all they'll have like, like basically clock in inputs so okay. that everything is all synced up. Um, and then you run it through either like a mixer module or a VCA. And that basically allows you to like combine all the sounds. And then um, you can have either most Eurorack stuff is mono, but you can like have weird mixer modules that'll turn it into stereo and then send that out to like the input of your interface that's usually how i record everything okay but yeah that's like i mean that's that's kind of like the basics you have like you know sequencers and like you know things that'll sequence drums really well like a module called pamela's new workout that's like it's great for just like making drums on the fly because it'll give you like clock divisions and clock is just basically like like a click you know what i mean so it'll give you like divisions that tell something when to happen like it'll send voltage to the thing and then like okay. noise happens um and you can divide those to make like interesting drum beats and they all have outputs so you'll send like that clock division out to this module so that it hits on these beats or whatever so um and i have a lot of sample modules because it's just quicker and easier than like building straight analog sounds from the ground up because like a lot of modules are actually digital not analog um and that's just for space saving and convenience. Like if you were to do absolutely everything analog, you could. Um, it's just a little bit more, it's just different, I guess. Um, and you, you can get more of like the sounds that I like out of digital, digital modules. 
Um, and you can like mess with them more, like just there'll be smaller, more options for modulation. Um, and the cool thing about like Eurorack is it, it literally is the modulation. That's like what makes it different. Like if you're, if you're using like a VST plugin and you're using a preset, right? Like almost every note that you play is going to be the same. They might be really dense and have like a lot of different textures. You might be able to build different sounds within that, like Omnisphere, but like not too many people know how to use like the modulation effects or like a mod matrix or in this case you can send like, I mean, you know what like a sine wave is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can send like that and they, they it's called. That's like, the only thing that you've said so far that I understand. Cool. So. Okay. Sorry. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. I understand all. I get the idea. Okay. But that's like, I know that one sine wave. Yeah. That's the one that goes like this. So you can like send that into a filter. Uh, or like a, a parameter of a filter and it will basically like turn the knob for you. So you're getting really complex, like moving sounds without really having to touch all the knobs at once. It's basically like these modulation inputs on all the different modules give you control over like shaping the sound and making it more dynamic and more like alive than you can get out of just like a standard like VST plugin. Cause most people, you can do that on VST plugins, but it's just more complicated and not as intuitive, you know? So. Yes. I do know because that's most of what I do um, is using. That was most of what I did too. You know, presets and stuff like that. Just because, well, it's because it's a it's a rabbit hole in and of itself. And then you think like, oh, making this from the ground up on a analog synth. Holy shit, that sounds like a a very long and arduous process. But it's actually way easier, way easier. So oh shit, so it's all there. It's in front of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you show me this in in like actually on the thing sometime because that sounds like a playground um it is. so let's say you've uh created like a, a sort of a foundation from one of these songs like you're going in you've got do you usually start with a something a rhythmic dr a drum thing or do you start with something more melodic or chords or something like that generally i usually do like drums and bass to start out with because that like also those are like the two things that like you really got to lock in like EQ wise and stuff if you're going to do anything over it because it's just too hard to mix otherwise. So yeah, that's usually where I start is like a weird bass line or like weird ambient stuff and then like the drums to kind of dictate the speed. And then I'll try to like go over that like with a vocal melody um, or vocal effects. Like I don't really feel like a vocalist. Like if like I can sing and I can sing on pitch most days, except when I have really bad heartburn, um, which is also <laughs> most days. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> but that's not like my bragging point there. I really love um, <laughs> how many effects like, and like just making the human voice sound so weird and inhuman. Like I almost want it to sound like for this record, this like robotic, like I would pull my natural vibrato out just to make it like, you know, this weird flat, almost like it, it's, it has like a vocoder sound in some places, you know, and and like autotune sounds. I love the sound of autotune. Everybody like is like such a purist about that. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I will affect my vocals to hell and back. I don't need to prove shit to anybody. I'm going to do exactly what I want because it, it like, you know, it's for the song. That's like what it's for. It's not for me to prove to anybody that like I can sing perfectly. Like there's a million people that can sing perfectly. Go find someone like uh, whatever. <laughs> like I'm not doing that. I'm making weird, dark, like... I don't know, electronic music for the end of the world. So I thought it sounded like just the perfect amount of organic and robotic. I think it was because I heard what you're describing 
a bit. Like some of it has this very vocodery um, type of feel to it. Some some of it's very like, but yep, and densely layered. Yeah, but it's also very. But it sounds like your voice. It sounds like you. And there are times that it's more natural and times that it's more synthy. And I th- I think that's such a cool. Uh, like l- seeing the border of those two things kind of a little bit he- a little bit over here a little bit over there and for what you're describing for what you were going for it sounds like you nailed it cool a lot of it is just like i wanted to tease things like i want i didn't want to make a techno record so like there are parts that you can dance to but like they don't last long enough to like th- there are club remixes little i've dance. made <laughs> little, <laughs> little dance, dance. 10 seconds <laughs> and then you know it's like there are other parts where it's much more um I'm also, I really like um, Bjork. And so like, that's like kind of an influence to like vocally. So there's a little bit of that in there. I don't know if anybody will be ever able to pick that out, but, um, and yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's not quite techno. It's not quite pop because it's just like not there. You know what I mean? And like melodically not pop, but also closer to that than to, you know, some of the other stuff that I've done. So I don't know. It kind of, this is like a big old experiment and I had to do all of these things so that I can do what I'm doing now, which is just more of those things, but more refined. I think you are always playing it off like you're like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't really know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and then you instantly start talking about a thing. And I'm like, you know exactly what you're doing. You just don't want to like you're worried that you don't have the words that other people use to describe the <laughs> thing that you're doing. <laughs> It's hard to think about it in like a process though, right? Like a lot of it is happening unconsciously. Like I literally sit down and vibe, like head empty, no thoughts when I'm doing any of this. I'm not consciously being like, I'm think I'll think about it before I sit down, you know, like where like my head is at, but it's just like when I'm there, that's why I do it. That's the whole point. Like, I don't really give a shit about anything. It's just like finally head empty, no thoughts, you know? Yes. And guitar, I've done it so many times that I don't get the head empty, no thoughts feeling anymore. So it's like, Mm. you know. It's not quite as engaging as it used to be. And everyone's like, oh, well, you could just try to get better. I'm like, I don't really want to. Thanks, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine. I don't really have any aspirations to be the best guitar player in the world. Don't care. It's not a sport. Don't want to do it. Happy with what I can do. Totally chill. So it's like, you know, this is more new and exciting. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like things just stick in your head, you know, and you just kind of form what's happening as it's happening. Like, I don't know if you really like premeditate your albums, but I feel like for me, as I write them, they come together more and they tell a story. And I didn't know what it was at the beginning until I'm closer to the end. Then I can kind of articulate it, you know? Yeah. And once again, like the the sort of sandbox style, at least what you're, as you're describing it, like for me, that part is um, like at the beginning of, of what I'm doing. And then that's how I like grab hold of little things. And then I chase it down and, and make it a little bit more like brainy and structured. It sounds to me like you stick with that sort of mindset throughout the whole process, like like take like empty of super conscious thoughts, and it's mostly this like you're describing brain empty, no thoughts for the whole time. You black out, and then you when you're done, it's that's fascinating. And I never refine anything either. Um, like one, why me and Derek can't write music together is because like he will sit on a riff for like three and a half hours and try to figure out like, do I want to change this note? Do I want to change this rhythm? I like record something and I'm like, cool, we're going with it. And then I go record something else and like, cool, we're going with it. Like I don't, I've never 
re-recorded like anything because it wasn't good enough. I tried to do that once like three years ago and like it sounded better, but I didn't like it as much. Mm. So I don't know. It's like it lost the magic or something. I feel like sometimes you just catch magic and you got to just roll with it. And like if it's not perfect, like that's kind of part of it, you know? So I just kind of like record things and then smash them together, but I don't ever re-record them. I'll record things I hate and throw them away and record new things, but I don't try to make anything better or different as I'm going. I guess that is one thing that I consciously do. That's fucking fascinating to me. It's a bit weird. I didn't even know it wasn't how anybody else did it until Derek. Like we tried to make music together. And I was like, this is going A, way too slow. And B, who cares? Like they all sound good. Like pick one. I don't know. You know. Well, one thing that I forgot to mention at the beginning of this is that you and I have actually written songs together twice now. Yes. And yes. I thought it went extremely well. Was that the when we were in Canada? That was the first one. Although yeah, that was the first one. Like you and I weren't really didn't work on it together. I was I just kind of like came in after the fact and dumped my vocals on top of what you guys had all written. I was inebriated at that point, so <laughs> I had some guy I had some guy ask me about that at a show like what's it like to write with other people and I was like he asked me about the, the Canada experience specifically. I was like they bought us a bunch of Canadian whiskey. I didn't really like the Canadian whiskey, but by by the time we were writing, like, I was gone. <laughs> so, so well, yes. It turned out. But then there was also the, uh, you know, we did one of the writing songs from Random Drum Grooves here. Yes. Watching you work was pretty crazy. And I think that it's funny because we've talked about how very similar we are in so many ways. But here, in this sense, we're at polar opposites. I'm more like Derek. Yeah. I'm a, like a real annoying perfectionist and everything <laughs> takes forever. It was a little bit terrifying. I mean, we were on a time crunch no matter what, but you were like, yeah, okay, cool. This, And you were just going and vibing, and I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, what are you doing? Okay. <laughs> and I forget what I'm doing. That's why I got to record it at all the times, because like I'll do something, and I'll be like, oh, dope. And then like if I didn't record it, it's gone forever. Yeah. So when you say that you will record something and hate it and get rid of it, or just delete it, yeah. if you, let's say, write a vocal melody... You sing it once. You don't go back and go, oh, I sang a wrong note. Let me do that again. Mm -mm. No, I just delete it. You just delete it and you never do the same thing again. No, not usually, no. God damn. I don't know if that's laziness or what. what is motivating that. I don't know either, but that's amazing. Well, sometimes I'll, it's not. It's not really. I'll come back to like if I come back and listen to it and I'm like, oh, I hate all those vocals. I'll delete all of them. And just go at it and do something totally different. It's ruthless. That's what it is. You're fucking ruthless. I love it. I'm cool with that. That works. I think every I think everybody could learn that shit. It's quicker, for sure. I think I I get too attached. I'm like, no, my riff, my precious little. I mean, it's different for metal to an extent. I don't think so. I think it's like, okay, so like, I mean, think about how long you're probably going to live, unfortunately, like probably a long time, right? <laughs> unfortunately, like, <laughs> indeed. Uh, you know, so like, I figure I'll probably write like a bazillion riffs before I die. So like, I don't care about this one. You know what I mean? I don't even care about the whole albums. Like when they're done, I don't listen to them after they're done unless I have to perform them. And then I have to go back and relearn them because I wasn't, I don't write them down or anything. And so they're a little different because I learned them a little differently. So it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like I did it and I'm going to do something else. Like I don't really, nothing for me is like the, you know how people have this defining thing. They're like, I'm, I'm looking for this moment to make me or break me like this album to define my career. I'm not like looking for that at all. I'm just looking to make stuff to learn how to make stuff differently. Like the next time, like it's all this like learning process. Cause I don't think if I have something like that, I don't think it'll be for like another eight to 10 years. So for me, this is all just like a playground. Like it's just a game and I'm just like doing whatever I want 
and now more than ever because I just don't care anymore. Um, because like whatever, I've just accepted like I'm just gonna die poor if I have to move back into rehearsal studio. Whatever, it's fine. But like, you know, I don't know. It's I don't I don't really think about it that much. I'm not that married to it. Like you're, I've never done an album where I'm like, yeah, this album's like really sick. Um, and I've never done an album where I'm like, oh, I hate the whole thing because I just don't think about it. It's like it's done. People will like it or they won't like it. It's so subjective, anyways. Like, whatever. I'll just make another one. You know, I don't know. I I want to get that tattooed on my forehead, like <laughs> <laughs> that whole monologue. <laughs> um, you you're saying something that that terrifies me so deeply, but I I wanna I want some of that, some of that yeah. ruthlessness, yeah, the chaos. Yeah, because yeah. I I think I think structure makes me feel very safe, <laughs> and. Um, and also I want things to be repeatable, you know, I want to yeah. be able to sort of, if I did something and I loved it, I want to be able to do it again. But you'll know that intuitively. You don't need to like think about it. You know it. Like when I hear something I did that I like, I'm like, I know that, you know what I mean? And it comes up whether I want it to or not. You'll know that unconsciously. You don't have to worry about forgetting it or something. I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> I'm just really good at it. <laughs> Same. I just worry about all the di different things, not music things. I'm worried about like, is the thing that I ate going to make me throw up? How am I going to pay rent this month? How old am I again? Did I pay my car payment? Those are my worries. I think that everyone watching and listening to this can take a very, very, very important, strong lesson from you. And number one, that's that done is better than perfect. And two, I said these in my last video, perfect is the enemy of great and getting too attached to certain ideas is how you ruin things too in a lot of ways there's that like you know that first second magic like when you do something and you're surprised you even did it you know or at least maybe that happens to me all the time i'm like dang i don't even know how i even did that you know like there's magic in that and that i think carries in music really well and i know what you mean with the like the stressing over stuff i do that in art sometimes because like I don't know, white blank paper freaks me out. So like I do get that. I understand the anxiety. Um, but I actually had a teacher this semester in a product design class and she was like, she's like, we're, we're going for prolific, not perfect. And I was like, oh yeah, I do that if, with my music. So I just need to do this with this. So there's probably some aspect in your life where you're like much more prolific than perfect. And then like, I think if you can just transfer those skills, you know, or that mindset, that's how you do it, I think. I'm going to try that. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Damn, though, like, I'm, yeah, I like that a lot. It's fun. I think we forget that it's fun. I forget that it's fun. I mean, I get like this particular kind of fun out of creating and like composing things very carefully and like putting everything where it needs to go, spending some time getting some distance from it, coming back and, and working on it again. It's not the same kind of fun. I want the kind of fun that you're describing. Like, that makes me go like, oh, right. That's kind of like why I started doing this kind of shit. Like, that's fun for me. It's that childlike fun, that the empty brain fun where you don't worry about anything. You don't think about, is this marketable? Will anybody listen to this? Who fucking cares? Like, you weren't, you didn't make a sandcastle when you were a kid and be like, how much will someone pay for this sandcastle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just wanted to make a sick sandcastle. For yourself. And then when it's done, you go and do something else because you're like a kid and like, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's like being seven, you know? 
I did not like being seven, but if I had enjoyed being seven, I feel like that would have been like how I would have approached it. You know, I don't usually get thrust into an existential crisis in the middle of these podcast episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, don't apologize. This is the reason that I do this shit. Part of it is so that the folks at home can learn something and we can get an idea for how other people approach things because every single guest so far has had a basically an entirely different approach to how they do it. But I do these because I want to learn because I do things a certain way. And I realized that I was like, oh, do, uh, other people don't do it like this. Yeah, same. And I wanted to try some other shit. And this is fucking gold for me. So that, that makes it a little harder for me to ask specific questions. That's okay. I know it's kind of vague. I mean, it's a huge problem in the guitar community. Everyone is so focused on like the hows and the whys and like the very specifics of like how someone holds their hand. I'm like, do any of you guys like listen to music? Like is, do you enjoy music? Is it like at all fun for you? Or is it just an act of like pure masochism? Like I don't, you know, it's very confusing to me. That's part of why I jumped out too. I was like, I don't understand this. People take it way too seriously. I think we we build up this this level of tolerance to the masochism, and then it seems really normal. Yeah, and it's not like no. it's. <laughs> uh, that's why, like, I I think we place this value. We we learn to place this value on getting to a certain level of technical proficiency of something, which is extremely difficult. Takes a lot of time. And then we think like, oh, putting a lot of time into something gives it value. It makes it worth it. Like, it will make it better. That's not necessarily true. It might be. But you don't, like, I don't, th- I don't think that me spending a year on a song is going to make it better. I think also, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's also all kind of wibbly wobbly. Like, I think a lot of people have like timelines in their head. And like, I think, you know, you know this too, because like the blessing and curse of ADHD is like we have pretty much no, at least I have no concept of time at all. None. And no concept of like what I was supposed to do when I was learning guitar. So I was, I learned like some really hard shit when I was like 15 and it only took me like a month or two. It's not very hard at all. You just have to not, I think people get this idea in their head that it should be hard or like it should be difficult or like you should suffer for it. It's like, or you have to learn these 10 steps before you've graduated to being allowed to do sweet picking. I didn't do any of that. You don't have to do any of that. Like I went straight to sweet picking at like 13. It was fine. I figured it out. I was like, oh, this is fine. This is like whatever. You know, I think people just hype it up in their head. It's like this like daunting big thing. It's like if you just don't think about it and like think about like what works for you and what like feels good with your hands, like your muscles learn way faster than your brain. So I don't know. I think people just really, really overthink guitar playing and they try to just put it into all of these boxes. And anytime you try to box like art, that's like, that's kind of like, fuck you, dude. Like, you know, like who cares? Like, it's just the same as any other thing, you know? And it happens everywhere. Like the fine art community is the same. And like, people are like, oh, if you can, if you can't paint realistic, like you're not, like you're technically, it's like, okay, why do I need to do that? Like, you can just take a picture. What's the point? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like you just work smarter, not harder. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, people should definitely not be punishing themselves unnecessarily. Like if you don't want to learn the blue scale, don't, who cares? No one's going to like, show up at your door and be like oh uh, unless you apply for music college because they were like you don't know the blue scales i'm like i don't know dude that's why i'm trying to go to music college so they didn't like that but i had that same problem i was like no i pay you to teach me that stuff yeah if somebody came in and they wanted to be a bricklayer a bricklayer is that a right thing it is they're like all right 
in order to get into bricklayer college, you got to lay these bricks. I'm like, that, no, no, no. What you don't know from, because nobody ever fucking tells anybody anything. For real. Before college is that it's because it's supposed to be a advanced higher learning. You have to have already done these things. And also that you should be investigating this stuff on your own. Like I was a jazz major for like, three years before I realized like, oh, these people all hate me because I don't really listen to jazz. I just wanted to learn this stuff. I didn't know that I was supposed to be like going to see jazz people play live and listening to albums and transcribing them. And like, that's the only information that I really needed, you know, is like, oh, you should just do this shit on your own. Here's here's music theory and some ear training. These are things that you're not going to get out there in the world on your own. But all you have to do to learn to play jazz is transcribe everything that you hear and just go and go with it. And then I was like, oh, so I I could just I just leave then. All right. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Um, yeah. And they there's no way to know that. So, but um, part of that is just having this confidence that you're talking about. Not just the confidence, but like the understanding that like like. There's not a there's not a set path of how to do the thing like you just you just do it and don't all these genre boxes and stuff like that they're completely made up it's all <laughs> like people are like how do I play the blues like well there really isn't such a thing as the blues there's a bunch of musicians who play kind of similar sounding styles but like it's a lot more than anyway but your super intuitive approach can have its pitfalls too Mm -hmm. i think i'm curious to know if there's anything that you feel like going about it like that has has held you back at all yeah well i mean i think there is like so now that i'm in college not for music but we're learning how to critically analyze things um and i have not done that in my life before (laughs) so it's cool to like take a thing and like figure out like where it came from and how it got there and like, you know, all of those things. And so applying that to my art, I've been kind of retroactively applying that to my music a little bit and thinking more like, okay, wait, where did this come from? You know, and I'm not, it still has yet to influence my future music, but it's cool to think about, you know what I mean? To like break stuff down. So that was definitely a pitfall at first, just because I wasn't as like aware of what was going on or what I was doing. I'm a little bit more aware of it now. Um, But I wouldn't say that affects my music so much. I think the biggest pitfall is like um, being able to connect with other musicians because I just can't. That's the worst part. I can't connect with anybody on like a theory level. I can't connect with them on like how they write music because I don't write music like that. We run on different timescales, like different speeds for how things are done most of the time. And when I meet other people that are running on like that kind of weird like other lane, you know, where there's like not really a lot of rules and it goes very fast – Um, and you kind of get what you get, they're kind of doing their own thing too. So they're like, okay, well, that's cool, but I'm kind of doing this. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm doing this. So it's really hard to be, and I find I have trouble contributing to something unless I'm like contributing to the entire thing. You know, I have trouble just giving a little bit of something Mm because I so am deeply passionate about all of it. So I just want to give the whole thing. And people don't always want the whole thing. They're like, (laughs) okay, that's cool. I'm going to do all this part. And I'm like, okay, and now I don't care, which is bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that's definitely a pitfall. Like I care about them as a person, but I, I struggle to maintain the focus that you need to have to like work on a group project with people. 
because I just don't have that. That could be a combination of things, though. You told me once that you really liked working with Adam Neely. Yeah, he can keep up like boop, 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 boop. And he knows all the stuff, too. He's like, he's advanced. He's advanced. Because I would just make something and he immediately would make something next to it. And I was like, okay, cool. Next thing. And then just next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. And I was like, okay, this is dope. Yeah, I would love to work with Adam Neely on something someday, but I don't know. I think I freak him out a little bit. Like I can't get a read on. I mean, I freak some people out, so it's tough to say. Yeah, but think about it like this. If you can freak out Adam Neely. Oh, I meant just like on a personal level. Yeah, but still, <laughs> he's a he's a he's a very you know, he seems un unfazable to me. Yeah, I don't think I, I think I don't think I phase him. I think I just like he's like, that's that's weird. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I am. He hangs out with some weird cats. I mean, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, you guys did that wild intro for the song. And like every time I listen to it, I'm like, damn, this it's it's crazy because we fucking had this like weird artsy intro and interlude to this basically what turned into like a butt rock fucking like big anthemic song and to me it was almost like beatles-esque in the like you know you've got lennon and mccartney like mccartney's like we're going to write a rock and roll song and <laughs> lennon's like <laughs> and it was the it was the combination of those two things that made them great because either of them alone is kind of like all right well, whatever um yeah, like yes. anybody can do one or the other like and Neely was like the fucking, the fusion of those two things together. He's the glue. He He's is the, the glue. glue. I'm convinced you could put him in any musical situation and he would fuse it together. So, I mean, that's like mostly just credit to him. Like, he, he can apparently just vibe with anybody and write with anybody. But that was definitely the most intuitive writing process. We did something at Toman when we wrote this like little 15 minute song together. That was oh, yeah, the most intuitive, like writing experience I've ever had in my life. I have never had that experience ever again. Yeah. I mean, I haven't admittedly tried very much, so I could be better about that. But I also don't have very many friends, and the ones that I do have live on the other side of the country, so it's like, ugh, whatever. Come to L.A. It's expensive and it's hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, can't afford L.A. Um, no, no, I can't even afford L.A. It's so expensive. I could have I could live in a castle anywhere else in the country. Yep. I want to hear Neely Longfield the album. I would love that. Like I said, I'm so worried I would freak Adam out too much for him to ever want to do that. And he's also very busy, but maybe someday. Maybe someday when Adam's not busy. He's busy, but you guys work fucking fast. You said you wrote a 15-minute song at Toman? Well, yeah, we did. It was like we filmed it. It's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, dude, book a fucking week with him. And, and make an album, and that'll be the end of that. It would be dope. I think we could get so much Sonic territory covered in, like, one week. I think we could finish the whole album, and I think it would be very, very, very crazy and very um very different. We are manifesting this right now. That's the thing that white girls <laughs> we'll do, see. right? I'm yeah, manifesting. I, I mean, really, though, like... <laughs> Adam, I swear I'm not that weird. <laughs> I think you are that weird, but it, it that doesn't matter. Thanks, Trey. <laughs> you're a lot higher functioning than I think. You're you're really good at pretending to be a person. You're you got great at it. Thank you. I was gonna say I look like I should be more higher functioning than I am. That's the problem. That's actually the big problem. It's like I seem like I should be farther along than I am, and that is that's all this curse. I think it could easily absolutely happen. I think you would just have to be like, hey, could we? Do you want to do this thing? And he'll be yeah, like, maybe. yeah, cool. That sounds great. Let's do it. And then you put it, put it on the calendar and then it'll happen. And that'll be the end of that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. 
but uh, we'll find out. Now I'm getting us off topic. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Although, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, it might be a bit tough to nail down exactly how you're doing things. But, like, at the same time, you, you have to go back at a certain point. Like you're saying, you make these things super intuitively sandbox style, but you have to, like, mix them. You have to decide which ones are going to go on the album. I actually do that, like, during the process, which is the wrong way to do it. Yeah, like, as I'm making parts i'm mixing parts which is like so not it because you have to like go back and remix everything you know but that's how i do it um i'm not really mixing after the fact ever um like once it's done it's done and then i just send it off to my the one single person that i trust in the whole world um and i just can't seem to trust anybody else ever even though i want to yeah that all happens at the same time and what as for what i decide for like what goes on the album it's if i finish the song because if i finish it it's it's one I like and if I don't then it's not so there's like a lot of very close to being finished where I'm like uh nope nope not it not I'm not there yet because I know like when I've hit the point where I'm like okay yeah this one you know I can tell when I'm writing it that it's going to be the thing for at least for me I mean other people might like the other stuff better but it all happens at the same time well you trust yourself I don't know you do you if you did I mean in this regard, at least, because if you <laughs> yeah, didn't, maybe. you wouldn't you wouldn't go about it the way that you do. Like, I think or even yeah, maybe even a lack of suspicion qualifies yeah, I have none of that <laughs> to a certain extent. You know what I mean? I have none of that. I don't necessarily trust gravity yeah. or whatever, but like I don't ha- I, that's just because I don't think about it. It just it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. You're not suspicious of the gravity. I'm not suspicious of the gravity. And that kind of seems like how, like what you're describing. Like you only trust this one other person who's the mastering engineer, I presume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To put the final polish. I mean, mastering is is black magic. It is. It literally is. I look at like you ever see a mastering studio and it's all small. There's like the just the two racks of stuff. That what they don't show you is the cauldron. The, all that stuff is for show. When they actually master, they pull out the cauldron and there's a little, you know, in, incantation and eye of newt and like, I have no fucking idea. I know. It's um, literally black magic. You're right. You get it back and you're like, okay, this sounds a lot better. It's louder. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you did it. Yep. I don't know how you did it, but you did. Thank you. Great. Thank you and great. Yes. So then the, what is it? Seven, nine songs on the album? How many? There might actually be more. Okay. Because I've, I made some extra ones like a week ago that I liked. Okay. So I might just toss them. <laughs> toss just them toss them the on there. Yeah, you know, whatever. But that's a part of the process. Like, how do you... Yeah. So you, those are, but those are just all the ones that you finish, start to fit, that you completely done, uh, or that you, that are completely done. That's the whole process for deciding what goes on the album, what's finished by the time you got to put it out or die. Yeah. Or if like, I mean, I don't finish stuff that I hate, you know what I mean? If I get to a point where I'm like, ah, I kind of hate this, then I just stop and go do something else, you know, or start a new song. So it's like, if I finished it, that means I don't hate it. And that means that it's probably going to go on the record because it's done, you know? I, I do know. It's a pretty simple process, you know? It's like, makes it easy. If it's done, it's going on. If it's not, it's not. It's a decidedly anti-commercial approach. Yeah, maybe. You're not thinking about it in in that way at all. You're you're just like, this has to have... It doesn't... You're not even thinking about how many songs have to be on it or whatever. You're just... These are all things that I did in this time period, and it's going to go on this, and uh, here's 
Here we go. I think there's like a vibe that you can catch in a specific amount of time in your brain. And if you miss that window, it's going to be different. And so it's like, I just try to pick all the ones in that window when I can tell I'm still in that vibe. I can tell when I change to a different one too, but when I'm still in it, I'm like, okay, so all the songs that I finish in this vibe are going to go on here. You know what I mean? For as long as this vibe lasts. And so this one was interesting because it's actually two different vibe periods, like two distinctly different vibe periods, but they work well enough together that I'm like, okay, they're still going for the same thing. You know what that highlights for me? And it kind of seems to be a, a theme that's been coming back throughout this conversation is about the time constraint for making art. And then this is sort of on a more broad scale, okay? Like you're talking about, okay, you make these songs a certain way. You make them very quickly. You're making decisions in the moment about it. And you're, you're doing it all in one go, basically. Writing, mixing it, recording it, getting the ideas down. You hate it or not. You keep it. That's a session, right, of creating this thing you're doing it very uh, much faster than i would do and then but then there's this other time period you're talking about the vibe period where you're a certain thread connecting all of these ideas and you're capturing it and that's the album it's a snapshot of a period in time in your life when you're feeling a certain way and and doing it a certain way that's um that's very powerful that's a that's a powerful way of looking at it because i'm currently sitting on an album that we started tracking three years ago and it's it's like done um people in the chat are like when's it coming Trey? when's it coming and like since then i've been writing all kinds of other stuff you know and we're gonna put out this album and it's like damn like that was a vibe from three years ago it feels a bit weird now um but that's totally like we're gonna look back on this stuff in 20 years 30 years 40 years and it's gonna be like oh wow like that feels like dated or now it seems classic retro you know it goes through all of these things but you're you've captured a period of your life yes and i think if you miss that window you might not get a full album out of it you know yeah what do you do to make sure that that happens Mm, i just go for it and if i miss it i miss it too bad I missed it before. There's another electronic album I was going to make. And then I just didn't. I got like six songs, like 90% done. Wouldn't have had to do much to finish them. And I was like, mm, no, I'm on, I'm in a different plane now. That's can't go back. It's like, it's just like, it's like hopping dimensions. Like you can't, but you can't go backwards. Like how you can't go backwards in time. You know, it's like, I can't go back to that vibe. So unless I want to make the album have two vibes, which sometimes is fine and sometimes is not fine, but I can't force my brain back into that space. Because it was already there before. So you've now relinquished the album to the to the mastering engineer. So it's it's out of your hands at this point. You basically to to an extent, and uh, and me bugging you to uh, get the the album art that so that we could see it here and make it this big. <laughs> you presumably got it at least semi finalized. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the final draft of the album art. Um, I've been mulling over like six different designs for that and then I think I was like it's like I said that's kind of following the anti-design theme you know I wanted it to have sort of like retro futurism like kind of colors sort of vaporwave colors but I don't want that to be the vibe because I don't it's not a vaporwave album you know what I mean it's not it's kind of its own weird chaotic thing so I wanted a really weird chaotic like anti-electronic music album with anti-design album art you know and if you look up anti-design like you'll see like all the inspiration pulled for that for that album art. Yeah, I've never heard of that before, so I'm I'm interested to see more of that. Derek hates it. It's very ugly um, and unintuitive, and it's meant to like clash. Like I said, it came about like right after the pandemic. Like Bill Cosby's sweaters. <laughs> Worse. 
I like it though. It's like it's like appropriately chaotic, um, and it doesn't follow any like traditional. Well, uh, maybe a few, but not many traditional like design principles. It tries to go against them in a pretty way. Well, it sounds like it lines up with everything we've been discussing. You're not approaching any part of this with any sort of traditional design design aesthetics in mind or um, with the music or, or anything. So it wouldn't make sense to have the the art be that either. I mean, you're you've got a perspective based drawing on there. That's just because that's what I've been doing more recently. Yeah, it doesn't look like a something that you'd see anywhere else, really. Yeah, no, it's not like definitively anything. It's like very subjectively many things. It seems like it matches up pretty well with your, uh, your not anti-commercial exactly, not like intentionally anti-commercial, like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want and fuck you. You're just doing whatever you want already. It's not a reaction. It seems like the kind of anti-design thing you're talking about. Those so- sorts of things tend to happen once again, as a reaction, like, I don't know, to like being fucking constantly advertised to with these like really specific designs that are supposed to make your little brain go. Pew, 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 pew. Yes, I think that's exactly where it came from. So, you know how we have like Facebook people design art, like, you know, the like the blocky bodies and like the really kind of tiny heads with big feet and there's no distinct features and like Facebook uses it. It's called Corporate Memphis. That's what it's called. Corporate Memphis. I think anti-design was in its reactionary like opposition to corporate Memphis to be like, we're done with Helvetica. We're done with blocky illustrations. We're going to make it look like something grotesque and out of like, and like 90s is kicking back, you know, so like weird 90s graphic design styles, which are objectively pretty bad. Like they were trying to figure out how to digitally design things with tools that weren't up to par yet, but they were still using like old graphic. It was very bad, very bad. So I think that's what's motivating this oh, like remember, anti-design. I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and you know, it isn't a pushback against anything because like I love like traditional pop and I love like well, like nice, clean designs and um, and all that stuff. That's just not what I'm doing right now. It's just kind of this otherness from, I guess if I'm pushing against anything, it's the things that I've already done. That would be what I'm like getting away from. The things that I've just already done and I don't want to do that right now, you know? Sort of begs the question for me, like, I guess, do you look at this in the sort of, long-term picture of Sarah Longfield, the artist, the things that you've been, you've put out in the past, and then what you're doing next, that sort of thing. Are you considering that at all when you're, when you're making this kind of stuff? Or I think I might go under a different name for it. I think that's the plan, is just to put it out under a different name and see if I can get myself a different market. Not that I'm not grateful for like the guitar community supporting me in the way that they have, because like that's how I am able to pay my rent. But I don't think, I mean, it might resonate well with the guitar community, but I don't know if I want my name to always tie back to guitar stuff. And it always will. Like I'm at a point where it's so solidified, like Sarah Longfield guitar, they are like this. And so anything that I try to do to branch out from that will be inevitably merged into the like conglomerate of Sarah Longfield guitar things. And so I think I might want to put it under a different name just so if I'm approaching like other the thing that sucks is then I have to build kind of from the ground up. Uh, But that's also fun. I like when things all fall apart and you have to start over like there's like there's a chaos in that that's just like really, really enthralling. So I think um, (laughs) having to build up a different name from the ground up kind of have a little bit of an an advantage. Um, will bring a different market and a different audience and different opportunities to do things 
in a different part of the music industry that I haven't been really able to do no matter what I've done. Like I always just end up on guitar tours or like, like I just want to maybe like DJ some underground clubs in Berlin. Like, you know, like maybe I want to like, you know, have like weird avant-garde shows with like, you know, some of the weird experimental like hardware synth artists I follow, you know, I want to like get a little bit away from both things, you know? So I think it might have to go under, under a different name if I want to keep it like how it is and have that freedom. Cause I think if it gets too sucked into Sarah Longfield, I won't maintain that freedom. Even if like I want to, you know? Yeah, I do know not to uh, continually respond with things about myself. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I'd say that's how people with ADHD talk. <laughs> you know what? For these interviews, I've been fighting it all the time because most people don't like it. <laughs> we communicate the same way. So you don't even notice, which I appreciate very much. But yeah, go off. <laughs> I mean, I've spent the last year completely steering this channel in a different direction. Like that's been what I've been doing. And I so I feel that on such a deep level, you know. Also, I'll take the opportunity to plug. I just started for this episode a new Instagram page dedicated to how songs are made. So if you y'all at home haven't followed it yet, that's going to be where all, like clips from this kind of stuff go and all that. And it's very hard to change your personal reputation. And once you get pigeonholed, like it's it's hard to to steer the ship in a different direction. So I understand that that's a hard road. People want you to be this one thing. They want you to stay that one thing forever, too. Like if you're like a 17 year old girl playing metal on the Internet, they want you to stay a 17 year old girl playing metal on the internet until you die like there is they just will not most people there obviously are exceptions but most people just want to see the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for some reason and they don't want artists to there are like i said there are many people that are encouraging of the stuff that i'm experimenting with but you will get fought every direction even if it's positive people will be like yay more guitar where's the guitar 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 and that's like that's not the point you know or like i'll post my art and people will be like album cover and i'm like that's also not the point it's just art for the sake of being art like it has absolutely no purpose i just made it for fun you know so it's like you will get pigeonholed and that's not a bad thing but it's so hard to dig out of you know i think you essentially have two choices you can make this the thing that you're doing and like destroy old Sarah Longfield. Yeah, until you kill the old, until you kill 17 year old Sarah Longfield playing metal guitar and lose probably a lot of that old fan base. Or you can move forward with a new identity and rebuild from the ground up, which is maybe more difficult or I'm maybe sure. easier. I don't really know. I mean, I'll let you know in a year if it's if it's working for me because I'm taking the former approach of yeah. trying to force my new identity upon my old audience. And I mean, it's working out okay. But, you know, I've got 220,000 subscribers, probably over 100,000 of them subscribed for stuff that I'm not doing anymore. To a certain extent, we're lucky in this day and age that we can literally look at those kinds of numbers everywhere. Spotify, YouTube, like... We can see the analytics. If we put something out and people who are uh, our followers or whatever like it or not, we'll know. But you're taking a risk either way. So you might as well do the thing that's that you want to do that's going to make you happy because each one is a risk. Yep. And the other thing that sucks is like with the name Sarah Longfield being a brand, I guess, it's I have more at stake if I were to completely try to kill that. Like 
there will always be some like financial opportunities and people tie that to like my signature guitar. You know what I mean? And that's like, it's a big thing. You know, it's a crazy, crazy thing that, that we have that. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to kill it because so much of what it was put me where I'm at today. And I'm like grateful for that, but also I'm just not at that same place. So that's why I think starting from the ground up is going to be the move. Um, because I thought about just like, you know, wiping everything and being like, this is it, take it or leave it, you know, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm very curious to see what, which path you take and how it goes. I guess I'm thinking about, for example, this kind of, this kind of music, like versus the kind of guitar stuff that you've done in the past. Can you perform them live, like with the modular synth? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'm, now I want, now this has become a question and not so much of a statement. How does that work? It's complicated. It is so, so, so complicated. I have like six different iterations of the rig currently. Thankfully, I've got time to perfect it. It's a combination of software things that are running and hardware things that are running and making sure all of the equipment is syncing up to the right tempo. Um, Some things being backtracked, some things being performed live. It's kind of dependent on like who I'm playing with. Um, And then I'm currently working on a like a duplicate album, same album, but it's basically just club remixes of the whole thing. So if I were DJing something, I could like play my own material for a good chunk of it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. If I wanted to. Or it also gives other DJs the ability to play that music if they want to. Mm. Um, so there's like, I could also just DJ a set much easier than actually performing the whole thing live, but I can do both. All right. So then um, are you planning on taking this stuff on the road? at some point yeah i'm not sure what that's going to look like because my current booking agent doesn't do like electronic music so i think what it's going to be first and foremost is just me making a lot of content about it um and i have some of that in the works like you know music videos and stuff that's going to go on my channel just for the reach um but under the new name if that works well enough you know ideally i'll make some connections with people and I'll reach out and be like, hey, let's see if we can do this. Do you know anybody that can do this? Um, one of the benefits of having like one successful platform is like people take you seriously. So it's kind of like a resume, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's not in the genre that you're currently working in, people are more inclined to work with you and give you opportunities. So I kind of have a leg up in that regard. I'm hoping that will get me places I want to go in this different music scene. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like fascinated and excited to see what what happens especially because i love like you're on the receiving end of them but i love reading those fucking butthurt guitar player comments on your shit when you do synth things because like (laughs) yeah you know guitar is my instrument i love guitar i've played it seriously for 25 fucking years like i've Mm -hmm. it's my life Mm -hmm. but i think that as a group guitar players are some of the most ignorant fucking ass backward neanderthal bullshit like like the attitude sucks it fucking sucks it's stuck so far in the past and i love synthesizers i love the sounds that you got on this album there to me it's like super exciting fresh interesting and i like combining those things personally because because i also love the sound of the guitar but it's very one-dimensional and i love watching their like boomer heads explode when you do something different especially because as we've discussed i want to see the i want the world to see the real sarah longfield as much as possible (laughs) (laughs) and this to me is just a little bit a little bit leaking out of your brain a little bit like 
Yep. Just a little, little tiny smidge. Just little a tiny smidge. bit. Someday. Someday I will execute like full weird. Like if I am ever at like a financial like stability where I like do not have to rely on the internet to eat. Oh yeah. It's going to get so weird so fast. Like then I just don't care at all about any of it. But right now, like, like I said, I have to exercise a lot of restraint if I want to keep making, being able to pay rent while I'm in school. So let's get Sarah graduated and rich makes hashtag make Sarah rich. Let me see you drop that in the comments, folks. Let's see it. I don't even need to be rich. Just financial stability. That's the goal. <laughs> Make Sarah rich. Well, but that's, uh, no, the goal isn't necessarily to get rich, but it's rich rich enough rich so that freedom. you can do whatever the fuck you want. Get that freedom. Right. Money is freedom in every sense of the word. It isn't, it isn't happiness, but you're sure as hell more likely to be happy if you have the freedom to try and do a bunch of things that you like. So It's true. So what is the next step? What's the next thing for Sarah Longfield? Well, I mean, I got to finish up some music videos um, about the whole album because I really want them to be like, they're definitely going to be more strange. They're going to be more of like the visual aesthetic that I'm going for. Um, and they're going to be different because it's not me just sitting down with a guitar. Uh, it's not going to be like playthrough videos, you know? Mm-hmm. So that ha- that has to get done. And I am bringing on other people to help me with that for like the first time ever. So that'll be cool. And then... I'm already working on so much other music, but I think it'll probably be a while before there's a, a second album because I really want to solidify this one as like, this is the direction that this is going. If you want to be on board, this is what's happening. Um, I don't want to push out too many albums too fast with that. And like, I'm in school, so things are really, it's it's full time. I mean, I'm at school usually from nine to six most days. Um, and then most weekends I'm at school from like six to midnight. So it's like, it's all the time. So once summer rolls around, I'll probably have time to finish up that second album, but we'll see. There are potentially a few life things happening that may or may not like slow down everything. So I don't know. It's going to be, I try not to think about it too much. It's going to be a very chaotic year. (laughs) The struggle of the artist against life. (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. Without it, we wouldn't have the inspiration to do that stuff. But at the same time, you're like, I also have to have the time. Like, yeah. oh, this struggle is very inspiring. Can I not also have the struggle to have the time to get it down yeah. into my fucking yeah. DAW or onto the page? That'd yeah. be great. Or like all the other things that I like doing. I wish I did not like doing them. You, you like know? doing things? So many oh, things. Like I'm building a bunch of furniture right now. I wish I did not want to do that. You know, that's a <laughs> that's a huge time suck. It's very expensive. Wood the cost of wood right now is through the roof. So it's like, oh my God. So if I could just like narrow my focus to like one specific thing, I feel like I would get a lot more done. But I also have less fun because I like novelty. You know how that goes. So it's like new things. Well even if it's at the expense of all the other things. <laughs> you know, my girlfriend also has ADHD. Uh, no surprise. It's a good fit. We bring in like-minded weirdos she said something the other day that she tried um that i was like holy shit so you know we struggle against like that kind of thing like splitting your focus doing a bunch of different stuff running around like a fucking weirdo like a headless chicken trying to do this and that and she was like the other day i just gave in to every one of those and it was great. <laughs> she just, she was like, she went and did one thing for a little bit, had it like thought to go do something else and just went with it. That's great. And I was like, you can do that. shit. I got to try that. We came up with a word for it. And I, I can't remember. It was like, just like basically whatever the opposite of impulse control is, impulse. Chaos. Yeah. In, <laughs> impulse chaos. 
And she was like, it worked. That sounds amazing. Because do you do the thing where you don't let yourself do something until you do the thing that you know you have to do? So then you end up like not doing anything until you do that thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. And then I'll just like sit on the floor and be like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I have to do this thing. I hate this thing. I don't want to do this thing. And then like last minute I do the thing. But I, I, I could have done so many things if I had let myself and just did that other thing in the chaos of all the other things. So that's brilliant on your girlfriend's part. She's pretty smart. I haven't quite tried it yet. Yeah. Exactly. But I have been sort of giving myself permission to give in to those impulses and chase down those little, those little like creative, like, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to go for it. Just go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should set aside a day of just like, I'm just going to, just going to go for it every time. Yeah. Just a chaos day where you just go with whatever you feel like you got to do. Yeah. Because that's what I do when I write music. And it sounds like that's kind of how you do it also. Mm -hmm. You just chase the rabbit. You go down every rabbit hole. So, you know, it's not compatible with a lot of real life shit. But if you're like me, then it's you've kind of already surrendered to the chaos to a certain extent. And your life is like you're going to pay the ADHD tax because you fucking let the thing go for too long. Yep. So what's one more day? Right. (laughs) Sometimes giving yourself that extra day is also like it fixes everything. Like you don't even think about it. And then like I've done that a couple times, not embraced the chaos, but I've been like, I'm not going to think about any of these things for one day and everybody can just like die because I'm taking this day off and I'm not doing anything and it's whatever. If, if I suffer because of it, so be it. And that day is like the most blissful, incredible experience ever. And it's just sweet freedom. And I think like, yeah, ADHD people, we just don't live in a society that allows for that. Like I honestly think, I mean, a lot of ADHD is full of suffering, but I think 90% of the suffering is just because we do not live in a system that is like conducive to literally any other way of functioning than like the baseline, you know, I mean, not knocking people that don't have ADHD, but it's like, you know, I mean, damn, like this is pretty disappointing. Like, I don't know how anyone can do this. Like, I really wish we had opportunities that weren't gatekept um, in so many ways. Like you have to have degrees to do all this shit, which like most ADHD people can learn how to do on the internet and then like do it just fine because they're so fixated on it. They learn everything about it. It's like, come on, we should be allowed to have jobs in that field. Like, duh, like you're, you're short on those people. We know that stuff. Like, you know, I don't know, all these all these weird gates that shouldn't exist. Like if you want society to progress, take people whose brains go 96,000 miles a minute and upgrade their car from like an 86, you know, piece of shit to something newer so that they can actually keep up with what's going on in here. It's like we're we're being like trapped in these boxes and then we're it's like, oh, it's a disability. It's like, yeah, OK, well, it would be less of a disability if like I had like the resources and the things to do these things to progress things. I feel like we could do a lot for society. You know, we got quick brains. We're good at problem solving. I don't know. Like, duh. Like, totally disregarding a giant portion of the population by making it impossible for us to do literally anything. So we're all freelancers. It's only a functional disability. Yeah. It's not actually a disability. It's a disability in school because school's not set up for people who think like we do. Right. And I'm going to go back a tiny bit because I think that our ADHD stories are very funny. Because yeah, yeah. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 12. I went on some Ritalin for like a year and I fucking hated it. I went off it and I didn't do shit about it until you posted a video to that ADHD YouTuber, um, How to ADHD. And I was like, I think maybe this is affecting my life more than I <laughs> more than I thought it was. And I started to do something about it. I went and got on, got on some medicine after like, you know, like basically thinking of myself as a fuck up for my whole life. Yeah, you feel like a literal failure at everything. 
at everything. And it allowed me to get a little bit more perspective on it. And then I basically badgered you until you <laughs> until you fucking got some medicine for it. Yeah. Yeah, it was us just like trading back and forth. Like, because you, you kept putting it off and I was putting it off. And because that's what we do. ADHD accountability buddies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like... Another video that I uh, that I saw about it that made me completely change my perspective on it is about how gifted kids are special needs. And like that's only true because of the way that school works. And they were like, oh, you're so smart. You're gifted. Here, take you're in the gifted and talented program. Here's some like here's some extra work like after school. Like they literally have no fucking idea what to do with us. No, not at all. So counterintuitive. And what we figure out later in life is that what it actually is is a superpower that they don't know how to use. And neither do we. And we never learned how to use it. But the proof comes out later in life when you don't have to function in this very specific environment where only certain people succeed. And we have this crazy untapped superpower. Yeah. And everything in our society and education system is a limiter, is a speed limiter on that. Oh, yeah. And we, we don't get to live up to our potential until much later in life. And that's why we're most people with ADHD are extreme late bloomers. And that fucking sucks. It makes me Dude, think about all the kids like us who are out there just fucking suffering right now in school. Yeah. And I mean, there's no way my parents could have known this. I mean, like it, it was not even a, like on the radar of girls having like ADHD or any sort of neurodivergence at all. It was just, oh, she's really weird. Like, forever if you just sat me in a room with a bunch of tools and things I could have learned how to do I would have become extremely proficient at probably all of them before age 10 like I loved to read I had a college Lexile score when I was eight like I was fine they put me in the gifted talented class I did the same thing I had to drop out because I didn't do a single lick of homework at all like and they were like well you have all this potential all this potential I'm like yeah but I don't want to do any of this stuff like why like I don't know it's just it's so ass backwards they're not but like if you think about it, American society is not really like they're not raising people to be exceptional. They're raising people to be like compliant. You know what I mean? They're raising people to be like ex- like to expect getting married and buying a house should be your ultimate goal and not just being happy and doing the things you love that like you're going to suffer at work. And that's part of being an alive person, not, oh, you can make your own job and do things that you like. Like you're not that's not a thing they're setting you up to do. Like no classes in school taught me how to do things that I do now, like the things that I like to do, you know? There was no classes on like building things or making things. Art classes weren't very good. Like there's no engineering or electronics or anything that's like actually interesting, you know? I mean, I guess maybe some people are into history and become history professors, but like, or math teachers, like really what is school setting you up for? It's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know either, but I think the end result is that in spite of all that shit, we've we've made our lives to be what we want them to be to an extent. Like, I'm like we're still struggling against that by a lot, but the proof is in the pudding. The, the proof of what you're describing is there. And people like us, I think this is our time more than anything else because we have the, we have the resources to do that. Like I didn't have to get anybody's permission to create all of this. You know what I mean? Like 
it's still hard. It's a lot harder than it should be. But this is the time in which we're able to create all of this stuff. We have access to the resources like your, like camera gear, lighting. It's all cheap and accessible. And sure, there's a there's still plenty of barriers. But it feels like to me, oh yeah, just the fact that we're sitting here with 70 or 80 people watching us at fucking 1230 on a Monday... <laughs> Like, oh yeah, no, I'm not even talking about it. specifically us. Like, you know, I make just enough money to pay my bills, just enough money to eat and a little bit of money left over for art supplies. But I'm also like, I, I feel like when I go on these rants, everybody thinks I'm talking about just me. I'm also talking about like the whole of everybody, like the whole of everything. Like when I complain about like people's working conditions, they're like, you're freelance, shut the fuck up. I'm like, uh, duh, I've had like 15 jobs. I know what it's like. I have friends that work jobs who are suffering. I know like, I don't want them to suffer either. Like I, I'm in it for the collective here, you <laughs> yeah. know? I wish we all didn't have to do that. I think the world would be better if everybody could hang out all the time and make art all the time. And, and like, you know, we're able to make money doing stuff like nobody. People want to work. They just want to, like, work at the stuff they're, they know they're good at, you know? Yeah. I'm th thinking mainly of, like, kids in school now. It's improved a bit, but not not a lot. Like, it's not like, oh, we need, like, one special helper to get us through the day. To, like, no, we, we need an entirely different environment. Yeah, the whole thing's got to flip on its on its back and start over. I couldn't do homework. Like homework was not happening. Like you have to give me put me in an environment where I don't need to do homework or yeah. I'm not going to succeed. Like that's just yep. how it is. And that's because I just want to fucking do the thing like you're saying, stick me in a room with the with the materials and leave me the fuck alone. And I'll learn how to do it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, the, yeah, same with me. No homework. My report cards were all like, oh, Sarah's so like engaged and interesting, but she like has not done a single homework assignment the whole year. <laughs> you know, like not a single one. She gets good test results and everything, but no homework. And I always thought that it was stupid because I was like, well, I'm in school for like nine hours. Why am I going to come home and do more school? That makes no sense. I'm tired and I want to do stuff I like. So I don't know. The whole school system is messed up. And I feel like that just translates to most of corporate America. Now that I've actually been in corporate America, I'm like, oh, man, this is like school, but like with more social rules. I'm socially not fit for corporate America either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm surprised that you uh, that you survived as long as you did. Thanks. It was, it was spite, pure spite. Pure spite. An underutilized and valuable tool that people don't. Oh, that's a great motivator. <laughs> Anyway, we're getting very far afield, uh, which is yeah, sorry. Which no, which is great. I think these are things that are very, very important, not talked about enough on these kinds of platforms, and they all tie in a lot. To understand the process, you have to understand the person to an extent, especially because your process is uh, foreign even to you, or not foreign, but yeah, in, no, it, it, difficult yeah. to describe even to you. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that people need to understand where you're coming from and why it is that you go about things the way that you do. Yeah, I would love if everyone could know that about me. I wish I could like send it like a, a telepathic memo to every single person that I've ever met. It was just like five or six quick bullet points about like, hey, so these things, not what you think they are. You know what I mean? Even like all my business contacts. Oh man, I hate that. I really wish I could have somebody do my email. Just be like, hey, by the way, I am this and I am. I don't mean anything by it. It's just who I am. I've done things like kind of like that. Like if I fuck, if fucked something up really badly and there's like people like, you know, business, like what's going on? I've been like, hey, listen, so I have this condition. They don't take kindly to that. Oh, you mean when you're like, hey, sorry, I am this way. They're like, yeah, well, get better. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why it's like, it is what it is, you know? I, mean, it's... I know what you mean. You want to be like, look, 
you have to treat me like I'm the way that I am. Like, you have, <laughs> like, You're like there's no I can nice do way the to thing that you need, yeah. and I'm gonna do it better than anybody else. But like, it's gonna be a day late, or like maybe a month or two. This is why I need an in-person handler. Like I said, it's like it's because okay, so they're asking too much. Like that's the that's the curse thing about social media is it is asking too much of people that are like wired to make things. Like people that are just like boom out of the womb, like gonna be an artist. Like I was like born weird and it was like definitely gonna be making things. Like that was established at birth. Like I was never going to be good at organizing emails, responding to people, remembering conversations, or like anything involving logistics of any sort, time management, nothing. It was like a very obvious from day one. And back, like, I don't know, 30 years ago, like, artists would have, like, managers and representatives and people that helped plan things and secretaries. And, like, I mean, I guess maybe there was more money in it now or then and there isn't now. Or at least it, there's just this middle area where, like, you, if you get to a certain amount of money, you can have that. But you have to have the facilities to get you to that amount of money. I have, I have not. I will not because I don't have the facilities to get me there. So I will never be at a place where I can have those people to do that for me like I kind of have a manager now like a sort of a little bit but like I said he's like on the west coast and it's all he can do is text me and be like hey please answer this email <laughs> you know what I mean? like good luck that's me saying that to myself too you know so it's just you're, you have to be nine different people and if you don't have the programming and the operating system of nine different people like that's why so many youtubers are like absolutely brilliant they're like prolific people and like and I'm, that's why I'm so bad at it. Like so many of our YouTube friends, like you're really good at it too, but like so many of our YouTube friends are like absolute geniuses. Like I don't understand how they can do all these nine different things and then hire a team of people and manage that team of people to do that stuff. Like what? Yeah. You know, that's so beyond me. Well, first of all, thank you. I don't think I'm great at it. But the reason that we do that stuff is because we're all polymaths to some extent. Whereas a lot of people will be like, oh, I wanted to be a YouTuber, but I don't know how to edit video. I didn't fucking know how to edit video either. I learned to do it because I needed to do it and now I can do it. Or you're like me and you just do it badly. You just, just do it badly. <laughs> just good enough for people to still watch your videos sometimes. I think your last video was uploaded in 360p. I was watching it yesterday and I was like, Was it? How come I can't upgrade <laughs> the, the quality? Why is it 360? What the fuck is going on here? I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. But you get it out. You get it up and you get it done. You do things badly and it's okay. If we were incredible videographers we'd probably be doing just that but we have to do all of these things in order to do the thing but like if we were so super fucking good at the one thing we'd be doing just that and we'd have managers to worry about everything else that would be but ideal because we're capable of doing all of this stuff and we have the motivation and aesthetic inclination like we're we're like we can do it this way we gotta do it's gonna we're gonna do it like this I think. Um, I mean, I outsource a lot of shit these days. I hit the point where I was sick of dealing with it, and I was like, I can get a lot more done if I outsource this stuff. Once I hit the financial point where I can do that, I'll be first on my list. I'm just not there yet. You know, like I said, I get my basics. I get rent, car payment, food, a little bit for art supplies. Not quite enough to pay someone to edit my videos. So someday. Someday. A manager, though, should only be taking a percentage. Yes. So you don't have to pay him up front. Yes. Which is the only reason I've been able to have the current manager that I have <laughs> who helps me like secure brand deals. Yeah. You know what you should do is just go and knock on your neighbor's doors and be like, are you a manager by chance? Because the thing is, I need somebody <laughs> who lives right here who could be like, Sarah, 
Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, someone that can literally show up. Sarah, at the did house. you do that like, thing? I need someone who's like as it, like more invested in my success than me and sees like me as a money pit. Like I need them to look at me with sociopathic dead eyes and be like, I can make money off of this girl. Like I need that kind of drive. And then they need to live here and then they need to be willing to like fully commit. And then I'd be like, yeah, here, take my money. Like, please. <laughs> That's what I need. So if you know any sociopaths that are like absolutely fueled by money and like see me as a ticket to their way to make a lot more money somehow, send them my way. They're the yin to your yang. Yes. Oh, my God. That's exactly what I need. Well, we've done it again. You've manifested it into the universe. I need Adam Neely to make an album with me, and I need a sociopathic in-person manager. All right. And you live in Minneapolis, right? I live in Minneapolis. Okay. So if you're out there, Minneapolites, and you do not feel remorse, (laughs) and you want Sarah to be your cash cow... This is your fucking time yeah. to shine. Show up. Well, this feels like a pretty good place to, <laughs> yeah. to put a button on. Okay, bye. But I love chatting with you. Likewise. If people could only see the kind of conversations we have when the cameras aren't rolling. Oh, so and, good. Um, I love them. And we don't have to worry about getting canceled. Uh, it's wild. I think this was as close as they'll ever get. Yes. Probably. Yes. Unless there's a hidden camera recording of the last time we spoke. I love hearing about the way that you go about things because it's so different from how I do it. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while to hear about it. It's also just because it's so different and I knew it would be different from how past guests have gone about things. Um, like Arch Spire just all sit in a room and they just yell at each other <laughs> and and are extreme masochists. There's the whole they have a whole voting system. Wow. They spend all this time naming the riffs wow. and stuff. And it's like That's incredible. It's wild. And all that kind of stuff. They everybody does it super differently. And I loved hearing about the way that you go about it. Thank you. And the way that you're thinking about things is fascinating to me. So thank you for sharing that all of that with us. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the album release. Whether you wind up putting it under your name or another one, which will be that so that people can look for it. Do you have an idea? I do, kind of. I have an Instagram handle already. The name is Saith. Um, S-A-E-I-T-H. Write it down, y'all. Go follow that as well. We'll update the folks at home once it's once it's hot. But because you're all, I know now, very, very fascinated to hear what this album is going to sound like. I can tell you because I have now listened to it that it sounds fucking great. It's awesome. It's everything that you hoped. You're going to want to go and follow all of those places to so that you can uh, get a taste of it when it's out. So thank you, Sarah. Good luck with all of that. Follow Sarah on all of her socials. Go and uh, leave some boomer guitar player comments on her synth videos. Boo. <laughs> and I will, uh, I'll talk to you real soon, all right? I hope the manager find, seeks you out. Yes, come find me. Don't kill me. We can put your sociopathic tendencies to good use. To good use. Don't kill the cash cow. Always a fucking fantastic time hanging out with my buddy Sarah Longfield. Thank you all so much for hanging out on this episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast. You can find all past episodes as audio podcasts at howsongsaremadepodcast.com. And of course, you can watch the recording of all these episodes as live stream, just like the one you just watched every Monday right here on the Gear Gods YouTube channel at 11 a.m. PST until question mark. Big thanks to today's sponsor, which is DistroKid. Hit the link in the description for 7% off your first year. And I'll see you all right here next week. Have a great week, and I will see you then.